We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Have you ever wondered why you're not making a podcast? Maybe because you think it's too hard. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I mean, you're immediately in the podcast game. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So right now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Just go to A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M and join me on Anchor. Presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Live on Alternative Talk 1150 KKNWAM, I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphemia. Tonight, our inaugural live broadcast, a program about the unknown and our relationship to it, topics at the intersection of high strangeness and culture, set adrift into the shadows of some unknown country, the end of its border, a mystery for us, as long as myth and memory survive. Uh, I'm a documentarian, mostly known for my podcast, Euphemet. On it, features of those whose personal lives have been affected by transformational paranormal events. This program, Night Drift, is a study on the phenomenon and will offer conversation with researchers, authors, experiencers, mystics, and others who are defining the modern paranormal landscape. And tonight our guest is Tobias Wayland, a former UFO chaser turned Mothman chronicler. A mid-century tragedy in a small West Virginia town introduced the world to Mothman, who, according to Tobias, is still being seen by witnesses across the United States. We'll hear about these recent encounters and dive into Mothman's deep history, undoubtedly leaving us with more questions than answers. But first in our next segment, we'll chat with Garrett Kelly of Liminal Earth, a group just miles away from where I'm broadcasting from tonight. He's collected some very strange stories from the Puget Sound, including what he has alleged could be a new restaurant in Bremerton, Washington, that caters to blood-sucking vampire types. Yeah. (laughs) It's that type of show. So there is so much strangeness here in the Northwest. It really has helped shape my life and identity while I attempt to keep some form of journalistic integrity, being a host and documentarian. I have had things happen in my life I can't explain, mystical, phenomenal, mind-bending events that have created me into a believer of sorts. With that, believing in what? I suppose belief is something else entirely. And I believe we'll probably talk about belief quite a bit on this show. When I'm asked what I believe, I often reply that I don't know what I believe. And even that is in question. I sort of stole that phrasing from authors I love, but nonetheless, yeah, we'll be talking a lot about belief. We'll also be talking, we'll also be taking your calls tonight at 425 373 5527 or toll free in Western Washington at 888-298-KKNW. That's 5569. And I want to hear your ghost stories, UFO encounters, Sasquatch sightings, 
Let's hear it on Night Drift with Jim Perry and Alternative Talk, KKNW, 1150 AM, right after this. Follow the show on social media at Euphomet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. You know, I really wanted to give a special thank you to the Euphemet listeners who are listening to this first inaugural broadcast. I feel like I'm amongst friends right now. It's easing any sort of, you know, first show nerves, so I appreciate that. And uh, also, thank you to patrons. I, I appreciate the support especially during such rough times, right? Uh, it's it's crazy, and it's still crazy, but listen, we're having a great time here on a foggy, misty Sunday night in Seattle. So I did a feature on our next guest, Garrett Kelly, on the Euphemet podcast. You can listen to it wherever you find podcasts. It's episode 31, In the Liminal. I actually went and I spent a few days in the Bremerton area with him. The Seattle Times did a recent feature on the paranormal mapping project, Liminal Earth, with a headline that reads, High Weirdness is Not So Strange. Creators of Seattle's Liminal Map find it in everyday life. I'd like to introduce everyone to Garrett Kelly. Garrett, how are you, my friend? I'm doing, gr- I'm doing great, Jim. It's good to hear from you. It's good to hear your voice. Welcome to this first <laughs> broadcast. Yeah, I'm so I'm so excited for you. I I thought it was really important to have you on. We go way back. You helped usher in Euphemet as a sort of live broadcast on Hollow Earth Radio in the Central District. And of course that was a sort of a a passion project and a love of yours, and you've helped so many people get into broadcasting that it's really special to me personally to have you on as as my first guest. Yeah, I'm honored to be here. And uh, yeah, it is kind of funny how it came full circle. And this is so cool that you're doing this. Uh, you're like in a, you're an important person for uh, the Northwest. And I think this is going to be great. Oh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, another thing that's super important for the Northwest, that sounded like I was agreeing with you. And, and humbly, I, I won't. But I will say what is important to the Northwest is liminal earth. And I love it. And I think you should probably describe it for those uninitiated that are listening right now. What is what is Liminal Earth? What does it do? What 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 is it? Well, about like three years ago, uh, my friend Jeremy and I um, we came up with this idea to map um, our paranormal experiences in Seattle. Um, Seattle was going through a lot of changes, and we were trying to like 
like uh, pinpoint like markers in the case like places disappear because you know going through lots of renew, uh, new development and it was kind of a way to like you know like a Tolkien map from like Lord of the Rings yeah, like sure. this is where the ogres live or whatever you know so we're right. kind of imagining it that way and we put it online we just shared it with friends and all these other people wanted to share their weird stories of paranormal experiences that had happened to them um and so it just blew up from there and we opened up to the whole world and now we're getting stories from south africa and australia and all over the world anything that's strange or um kind of uh you know irregular we put it on the map it doesn't have to be ufos or ghosts it can be like seeing a dog walk down the street wearing human shoes or something (laughs) it's one of my favorite examples that you give for (laughs) how absurd some of these are Right. Totally. Listen, what are some of the uh, most strange or interesting or thought-provoking uh, listings that you've found on there recently? Um, let's see. Well, this is not a recent one, but the, the one of the weirdest ones, a classic one for me, is the this person who was waiting for a bus um, in, like, the Montlake area of Seattle. And I think that was where it was. And they got on the bus. No one else was at the stop, and they, it was kind of a rural area. And they went to the back of the bus, and then all of a sudden, three other people got onto the bus at that same stop. And they came nice. down and sat next to her at the very back of the bus, and she's like, oh, great. And they started rubbing their hands together. Oh, no. And saying, yeah. yeah, and they were going like, are you ready? Are you ready? And she's like, oh, great. What is, what is going on? Wow. And they pulled out this giant sandwich. And she got like the sigh of relief, like, okay, they're just want to eat this sandwich. <laughs> and then they opened up the sandwich, though, and in between the meat and the cheese were these little like moist towelettes. No. And they, <laughs> and they opened up the moist towelettes and they just cleaned their jackets with them. And then they <laughs> threw the sandwich on the ground. And it, it just like seems like a nightmare. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't like what did that mean? Is it, it like the like Oscar a... Mayer cult? What is that? <laughs> I don't, I don't. We must yeah. smell like the meats. Yeah. <laughs> it just it feels like a yeah. It just doesn't fit any other kind of experience. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. And those are kinds of like. That is an example of the kind of thing that is totally okay to submit to us. Um, I, I, I love that. Yeah. And even if a, someone is not submitting something, uh, going onto that website and scrolling through and, and finding these weird things in your very own neighborhood is, is really fun. I mean, I remember I lived on, um, you know, South Capitol Hill, and I would click around routinely to see what was going on right in that few blocks that I lived. And it's awesome. It's so fun to do. Let me ask you this, Garrett. You know, with this, you're helping people uncover and catalog the weird on everyday walks, right? What does mm-hmm. that mean to you to help someone do that? Do you say everyday walk? Yeah. Um, well, I feel like... Um, this is somewhat related, but like I, I, I recently moved out of Seattle and I didn't know this new area. I live in Bremerton, Washington now. I didn't know this area very well. So kind of, you know, going out and walking and experiencing the places here and digging into the history here, um, it's like really a great way to feel connected to it. Mm. And this like paranormal um, side of things, like learning the urban legends that in the area that you live and kind of, it makes me feel connected. Yeah. Um, to the, the layers of history. And so, um, and then places that feel, you find places that are forgotten and you just are like, what is this? Like, what was this, what was here before? Um, so I, I'm really, I'm really into that idea. And I'm also just into the idea of you can just take a walk with intention of finding something weird. And a lot of the times for me, at least <laughs> something will happen mm. or I'll, I'll find something if I just go out with that mindset and it's kind of like a free entertain free entertainment, um, <laughs> just to kind of go out and do that. Yeah. Um, I just learned so much about where I live and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's just the way I, I operate. Well, speaking of the Bremerton area, 
you know, if anyone hears any weird echoes on your phone line, it's because of probably all of the weird sonar signals bouncing off that peninsula, right? Right. <laughs> totally. Did, you had yeah. a story, there's a rumor out there about dolphins being used, right, for a, a sonar experiment? I think that's real. I think that they use, the, the Navy's here. There's like a Navy shipyard, and I think they train dolphins and stuff. I, there's even like a undersea museum, naval undersea museum nearby, and they talk about it there. So oh, wow. I'm pretty sure that's a real thing we do. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing it how you move to such a strange place that correlates yeah. directly with how much more strange your life has become. <laughs> right. <laughs> Spe- speaking of strange, tell us about this burrito bar that you found recently yeah I, I was just driving there's this kind of like i think it's a very cool little street in bremerton called callow um and it's you know a lot of the shops are empty and but there's some really cool businesses like a typewriter museum and um there's like a mexican restaurant that has wrestling in the center of the restaurant mm. and they have the roof ripped out it's just a neat street but there was this new business that showed up one day, and on the window it said, opens 3.30 a.m., closes at 11 a.m. Huh. I was like, what kind of business opens in the middle of the night? Like, three, what is going on here? Yeah. So I pulled over, and I read the signs, and it says that they make burritos. It's a burrito bar. And it said that they have protein shakes and then killer smoothies. <laughs> So I was like, "Wait, is this like a is this like a vampire burrito bar? Is this like a trick or something?" <laughs> so like, I made this TikTok all about it, and it it totally exploded. Um, all these people were like, you know, I didn't post for a couple of days, and they thought I got smoothed, <laughs> like because I, <laughs> I said I was going to go back and like, like smooth, like it got turned into a smoothie. Sure, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, but, uh, the response has been pretty uh, – you've had uh, pretty good reception from the establishment itself, right? Right. They've changed their motto now because they people started sending them the, the TikTok where I, I gave my hypothesis. And so their new motto is uh, sink your teeth in. <laughs> and, they're, and they're opening this week, and they apparently have vampire teeth in. I, have to, <laughs> I haven't verified yet. I'm going down to check this out. But I mean, this is kind of a silly example, but I think it kind of points to like I'm I like things that are um, kind of on the edge of being real or not, and yeah. I don't really. It's like just it's fun to have, you know, go out with intention and just try to find meaning and remythologize your landscape, even if something you don't have to. It doesn't have to be true. It can be just fun and interesting. Right. And it, it to me, this just proves of like. It took on a life of its own. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an okay thing that you don't have to – you can do lots of research and try to, like, debunk something or, or like, um, you know, like really dig into things, and that's valuable. But you can also just have fun with this. Well, you're engaging a community with something that's mm-hmm. very strange and weird but also very positive. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, you're kind of merging uh, strange science with civil volunteerism. In some way. Yeah, totally. uh, speaking of that, what is this Dream Park project of yours? Well, so this is another example that I guess kind of behind my house, um, my neighbor told me, hell, you know about that park back there? I'm like, what? And there's this like secret garden, like this hidden park that's been closed off for 15 years um, here hmm. in Bremerton. Um, it's all gated off and you can't access it um, from the street and it has like some rotting playground equipment. And I was like, whoa, this is like super fascinating. And then I talked to another neighbor and they said, oh yeah, I've seen raccoons go down the slide. Mm. I was like, what? So I put a trail cam in there to try to film that. So I've been like totally just fascinated with this park and like it really lives in the liminal state. Like what is this place? It doesn't, no one uses it. It's just sitting there empty. Is there some use we can get out of it? It's, it doesn't know what it is. Right. And so I had this idea um, to make a make it into a dream park. And by a doing that, park. what I... Yeah, a dream park. So what I had this idea, I got a box, and I put a mystery object 
in the box. Hmm. And then I put the box in the park and I left it there. And I made a TikTok saying, hey, what if we all collectively tried to meet in our dreams in this abandoned park and you came here in your dream and opened the box and told me what, what's inside? Like, don't physically come here. Just wow. come here in your dreams. And I just threw that up on TikTok. And that one like got like uh, 700,000 views and thousands of people trying to do this. Wow. So um, people said that they saw me. I was dressed as a giant shrimp, which is a long story. But uh, For another episode. Yeah, totally. But all these people had dreams about me there. They said they saw my shadow self. They... They were finding things in the box. Some people guessed the real thing. Other people guessed a different object, but the same different object. Like multiple people saw a a toy giraffe, which is not what I put in there. My word. What's that? I was just exclaiming. (laughs) Yeah. It's so specific. Yeah, I know. I I don't understand that. It's just a confusing experiment. So I've just been... I've been making a petition. I've been trying to talk to the city council about making this an official dream park where people can visit in their dreams, just as like a place to experiment with that. Um, I, th- I think it's a weird idea. And it's just something that's empty that was in disuse, and maybe there can be a new use um, just you know, through this other realm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Garrett. That's so amazing, man. And what has been the reception so far from city council members I think this signal reaches Bremerton, maybe, if not completely uh, evaporated from the secret technology. Right, totally. <laughs> the dolphins are pushing buttons to turn it off. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I actually have a I, I work with a city a person running for city council who's, like, gung-ho on it. She's really um, supportive of it. Um, yeah. Uh, I haven't formally pitched it to the city council, but I would like to do that. It's amazing. Uh, let me know if you need any help with that, yeah, since totally. I have the the broadcasting power of the Emerald City in my back pocket now. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Garrett, you, you do have wonderful social media. You and uh, Jeremy uh, Puma, who is uh, the co-founder of Liminal Earth, Produce mm-hmm. some really great stuff. Where can people find all of your social media, your TikTok, your videos, everything? Yeah, if you look up Liminal Earth, which Liminal is a weird word, but it's L-I-M-I-N-A-L, um, Liminal.Earth, that's where you can find all of our stuff, Instagram. But we really right now are doing a lot of TikTok videos and trying to go out into the world around us and like show sites. So, so that's the one of the best spots to check us out. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us here tonight, yeah. my friend. And uh, yeah. I want to have you on for a full, you know, a full episode. We can talk about Shrimpy. We can talk about some of the strange experiences that connected us with the Hollow Earth. We can talk about time travel. Um, have a great night and stay safe yeah. over in Bremerton. Yeah, congrats, Tim. Oh, Jim. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. We'll also be taking your calls tonight at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW. I want to hear from you. Next, Tobias Wayland and Mothman, right after this on Night Drift with Jim Perry. Taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Jim Barry, host of the documentary series Euphemet. And tonight, I want to introduce you to Night Drift with Jim Perry. Join me every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific for conversations with paranormal thought leaders 
experiencers, scientists, artists, and mystics to explore the unknown and discuss paranormal topics affecting our lives, society, and culture. Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Miss a show on KKNW? Check out 1150kknw.com for podcasts of many of our programs. That's 1150kknw.com. To the rest of the world, lines are open. Call 425-373-5527 or toll free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-KKNW. Real quick, if you want more Night Drift, you can find it on its own podcast feed, wherever you listen to podcasts. Help the show out. Please subscribe, rate, and review Night Drift. Don't don't forget to subscribe to Euphomet while you're at it. Uh, that that's spelled E U P H O M E T. You can find everything at euphemet.com. Our guest Tobias Whalen is a passionate Fordian who has been actively investigating the unusual for over a decade. The first several years of his investigative career were spent as a MUFON field investigator, and following that, he investigated entered, uh, independently prior to becoming the head writer and editor for the Singular Fordian Society. Tobias is a frequent guest on various podcasts, radio shows has contributed several books and periodicals on the paranormal, and is often invited to speak at paranormal conferences and events. He was featured in the series premiere of Expedition X and the Small Town Monsters documentaries Terror in the Skies and On the Trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman. For his work investigating Mothman sightings around Lake Michigan, he and his wife Emily have been involved with the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation since its advent in the spring of 2017 and published a book chronicling the experience, The Lake Michigan Mothman, High Strangeness in the Midwest. His second book about unusual phenomena, Strange Tales of the Impossible, continues their work in investigating a variety of seemingly impossible events. His years as an investigator have served him best by illustrating that when it comes to the anomalous, the preternatural, and the paranormal, any answers he found are still hopelessly outnumbered by questions. And is has there ever been a more true statement than that? Tobias, welcome to Night Drift, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I was hoping we can start at the beginning, not of your story quite yet, but of Mothman. Can you take us back to Point Pleasant, West Virginia? Sure. So anybody not familiar with the uh, the advent of the Mothman legend, it really did begin back in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, back in the uh, the, the uh, mid '60s. So the, uh, the the flap that most people are are most familiar with went from '66 uh, to '67, and according to the narrative uh, presented by uh, author and investigator John Keel, culminated in the collapse, uh, very tragically, of the the Silver Bridge in December of 1967. So uh, those sightings. Uh, had gained significant media attention at that time and uh, were often characterized by descriptions of a large humanoid uh, winged flying creature, uh, usually with these bright glowing red eyes and uh, other sorts of uh, uh, anomalous effects were also present. People would report uh, these uh, distinct and overpowering feelings of fear, for instance, uh, you know, other uh, instances of paranormal uh, phenomena were often recorded uh, in and around the same sighting areas or would pop up in individuals' lives, uh, you know, having seen the, the uh, creature. Mm. Um, and, you know, of course, there's, there's, there's quite a bit to that, uh, more than I could probably uh, explain in great detail right now. But I think that sort of summarizes it for anybody who might not be uh, familiar with the, uh, the, the case at this point. Yeah. And, and for the most part, uh, per 
you know, sort of uh, typical understanding, the phenomenon itself was really constrained to those, uh, to that period of years in the 1960s, correct? Well, you know, that is the, uh, the popular perspective on that particular phenomenon. However, uh, there is a good deal of uh, uh, research that's been done that points to the contrary. And now this wasn't work done by me, but there are other people um, who are native to that area, researchers and investigators who uh, have been chronicling these sightings uh, for, for some time. And the, the reality, if you will, of that situation is um, the sightings never really stopped. Mm. The, uh, the, the Silver Bridge didn't really mark the end of anything. And, uh, and sightings of this winged humanoid and, and other strange phenomena from UFOs to, to you know, hairy uh, humanoids to even stranger encounters have continued uh, with some regularity all along the Ohio River Valley, mm. um, you know, seemingly with, with no end in sight. And, and certainly, you know, uh, in my research in, in other parts of the, uh, the country as well. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I mean, Listen, I've been to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and even to this day, uh, there is an ominous nature to that place, as quaint as the little town front can be. There's still, you know, a lot of trauma held in that location because of that bridge falling. But what's interesting about what you're saying is that if it's true that there's evidence that these occurrences continue to happen after that bridge, the popular idea of Mothman potentially being a harbinger now becomes a little bit more in question, right? Is that what you would believe? Um, Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think that, well, it's not just my opinion necessarily, because I think that all historical research uh, supports the idea that the Silver Bridge collapse uh, being connected with that series of sightings really didn't exist until it was introduced uh, into the popular zeitgeist by John Keel in, in his book, you know, following those sightings. Certainly at the time in 1967, people weren't, uh, weren't sitting around in, in Point Pleasant connecting these events. They were too busy mourning their, their, yeah. their dead friends and, and loved ones. And it really wasn't until Keel wrote his book that um, the the idea of Mothman as you know harbinger of of doom or or portent of disaster or however you want to look at it was really introduced. Um, yeah. You know, in, in my personal opinion, has sort of well, very recently been at at, at the at the very least. Um, you know, because I, I did grow up admiring John Keel quite a bit, and I, I really enjoyed reading his writing, and and he was an excellent storyteller, but. You know, once I I entered this field uh, professionally, you know, I was sort of forced to set all of that aside, all of that aside, and and uh, looking at um, his work critically, it really seems more to me that excellent storyteller that he was, he knew that he needed a good ending to his narrative. Mm. Uh, You know, a good storyteller knows that your audience wants a beginning, a middle, and an end. Sure. And, and they demand sure. some sort of closure. They want the story to make sense. And uh, and being able to tie those events together uh, very much provided those things for his audience. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, from, from, from that perspective, I understand it. I, I, uh, I don't necessarily condone it, but um, it, it has led to this popular belief in this uh this winged humanoid or winged humanoids um as uh you know as these harbingers of of doom if you will uh despite the uh the the parsity of of evidence that actually would point to something like that yeah it's so fascinating i mean you look at a guy like keel who i love his work and and uh and, and i'm such a fan but but you do have to carry that with context that uh guys like keel and uh, other authors of that time you know they were writing books on this stuff, sure, with small publication deals, but they were also writing, you know, sort of featured articles of of cats with wings for like Playboy magazine, you know, and pulp magazines, right? So, <laughs> you know, there's a there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, what's fascinating about your work and and following it for a while? When did you become introduced to the idea or these experiences that began happening again? Uh, quite frequently 
in your neck of the woods with Mothman? Sure. So this would have been in the spring of uh, 2017, and I had seen a uh, a trio of uh, winged creature reports come through the Mutual UFO Network uh, case management system. And and MUFON had written a, a short article on these sightings. Uh, they didn't really provide a lot of information beyond like the initial sighting reports as they had been submitted. And uh, they sort of tied it to, or compared it to rather, the, uh, the, the Point Pleasant sightings back in the 60s. And at that time, I was, uh, I was covering, uh, you know, paranormal news for the, the Singular Fortean Society. And so I thought, well, this is an interesting uh, series of sightings. Uh, I'll publish a short article on it and, uh, and just follow the story. Uh, I didn't really expect it to go anywhere. I thought that this would be just a weird one-off sort of article and our, our, our readers would be interested and then I wouldn't hear anything about it again, mm. but um, you know, that's not what happened obviously. And uh, <laughs> next thing, you know, uh, I'm seeing all of these reports come into uh, these, these other websites like phantoms and monsters and uh, UFO clearinghouse. And, and at that time, you know, I wasn't very savvy um, in terms of the online paranormal community, you know, I've always been more of a book guy. So when it came to, to things happening on television or, uh, or, or internet communities and stuff, um, you know, I really wasn't, uh, on top of that. And so I did probably know okay. Either. Usually that's probably, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I hadn't heard of, uh, of Lon Strickler and Phantoms and Monsters or, or Manuel Navarrete over at, uh, at UFO Clearinghouse. But I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to cover the story, I, I really need to reach out to these guys. And uh, so I did, and I, I interviewed them uh, for the, the website in consecutive months back in uh, the summer of 2017. And, and it wasn't too long after that, uh, that we were invited to uh, participate in the investigation. It turned out that we knew some of the same people and, and certainly our proximity to the, the, the sightings and my background with investigation, um, you know, lent itself well to us starting to, to help with that. And, uh, you know, it really wasn't too long uh, also after that, that we started receiving our own sighting reports. And mm. so uh, collaboration just made sense. And, and so ever since, you know, I've, I've been covering it as, as well as I can, uh, in addition to uh, investigating sighting reports that, that we receive and, uh, and, and everything else. Yeah. How fascinating. And so uh, MUFON was the entryway there. And take me back a little bit when you decided that you needed to become a MUFON investigator? Sure. So, you know, I, uh, without going into to great detail, I had experienced um, a number of uh, seemingly paranormal events uh, since really as, as far back as I can remember. And, um, and, and I struggled to deal with those events, uh, certainly as a, a child. And of course, this being before the uh, the internet, um, I had very little recourse uh, in terms of of how I could could learn about or, or process these experiences. And so, being kind of a nerdy kid, I would um, I'd ride my bike down to the library, and that's where I discovered authors like uh, John Keel, for instance, or uh, Whitley Strieber, or Brad Steiger. Uh, there were all of these people writing about these experiences that uh, were so similar to my own, and it it made me feel better. You know, it, it, yeah. in, in its way, it made me feel better knowing that there are other people out there reporting the same thing. Uh, and, and it, and it provided some kind of, of context for me. And so, uh, when I was in my, my mid twenties or so, I was trying to decide really what I wanted to, to do with my life, frankly, like what direction I wanted my life to go. And, um, I knew that I wanted it to have something to do with, uh, these experiences because they were such a big part of my life, such a, a yeah, formative yeah. part of, of my, my childhood and ongoing into adulthood, honestly, um, that I, I knew that that uh, had to be a part of it. And so I was looking around at, um, at, at sort of how I would be able to approach that. And I, I saw that there was this organization called the Mutual UFO Network and that, uh, you know, you could... Uh, volunteer as a field investigator, and they would provide training, and uh, and then you know you would receive reports, and it seemed like it had a sort of nice uh, structure to it, um, and so uh, you know it would be able to to be easy to navigate and and really get me on the the road to where I wanted to be, at, at least as far as that's concerned. And so I yeah. I volunteered, and you know I got my my MUFON field 
uh, investigator's manual, which I still have. It's a giant three ring binder full of, uh, <laughs> you know, how to use a Geiger counter and, and interview witnesses and, and everything else. And, uh, and, and that's what I did. You know, I, I would, uh, I would get cases sent to me and, um, and I would speak with witnesses and, and try to help them understand their experience and, and investigate. And if there was a prosaic explanation, then I would explain that. And if there wasn't, then I would explain that. Um, and, uh, and I felt like, uh, it was a good beginning, but it wasn't exactly where I, I, I wanted to be. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I did eventually leave just to, to pursue my own uh, particular interests. Yeah. What were some of those things that, that, uh, drew you to, to leave and to tend to start something new? What were some of those goals that you had at that time? Sure. So, you know, uh, when you look at, uh, MUFON, uh, it, it, it isn't without flaws and, one of those flaws is uh, their reluctance to share information. And so it can be very difficult to get information out of them. And it, it never really felt right to me that, uh, you know, I would spend however much time, be it, you know, hours or days or whatever, investigating this case only for it to be sort of locked in this vault forever. And mm. nobody outside of this organization, uh, th- th- this organization would would ever be able to to learn about it. It seemed contrary to their stated goal, right. um, and then, you know you sort of combine that with uh, the uh, particular bias. I think that is uh, endemic throughout that particular organization. Uh, it, it's a very strong bias towards uh, uh, mainstream or or materialist science in a mm. way that I think is uh, inauthentic to the experiences as, as described by, uh, by many witnesses. Yeah. Uh, and then of course they, uh, would, would restrict their, their cases to only a, a small subset of paranormal phenomena. Of course, they only wanted to deal with UFOs and really didn't even want to deal with, uh, anything out, outside of UFOs, not even necessarily the, the, the things that must have been flying them. And so, right. um, it, it seemed very limiting to me in that regard. And so, Beyond that, even, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be able to try to contribute to the community in, in the same way that it helped me so much when I was younger. And so, you know, I, I wanted to be able to create something um, that, uh, that that might be able to provide for other people what uh, what had meant so much for me. And, and, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to write articles or books or anything if I if I stayed with uh, with MUFON. And so it's just uh, the, the the natural progression uh, in, in my own development was for me to to have to leave that organization. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, as a an experiencer of the, sort of the unknown yourself and something that you've had to like sort of rectify and work through, it must have been hard to be a part of an organization at that time, which was trying to provide a prosaic sort of mainstream answer to individuals seemingly when you are probably from an experiencer perspective going like, wait, 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 this seems way more weird than what we're presenting or what we're dealing with here. Like th- th- there's a little bit too many bumpers in, in my way here. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly it was, uh, it, it, it was very limiting in that regard. And, uh, and, and sort of my perspective on it was, and, and still is, is that uh, it's something of an injustice to those experiencers to be so easily dismissed. I always felt as though MUFON's approach to dealing with witnesses was to uh, sort of demand that they prove their experience rather than uh, investigating the experience and, and, and just sort of letting the the chips fall where they may. Right. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, sort uh, I guess as, as, a better way to explain that even would be in the the, the treatment of, of witnesses during an uh, in interview. Like often they might be be interrogated more than than, than interviewed. Frankly, mm. uh, it's something that I've seen in this uh, this Lake Michigan Mothman investigation because there has been some some move on involvement, and I I feel bad having to say it because I I, I do very much uh, like the state director for uh, for MUFON in Illinois. Sam Moranto, he is a very nice man, and, and he's been, uh, you know, pretty helpful, uh, at least in, in terms of, um, you know, being forthright with what they've received uh, in, in their own investigation into uh, reports that have been submitted to them. But there have been instances where uh, 
uh, witnesses had initially contacted MUFON and then after limited contact and communication with MUFON would, would move on to somebody else. And the, the narrative there from the, the witnesses generally was that they weren't like, like they, they didn't like how they were being treated. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. That, uh, that, that sort of confirmed, um, you know, my, my, my own suspicions. Well, it's such um, a sensitive personal thing that they're dealing with. And sometimes the best thing is to not have an answer and be truthful about that uh, and not use that as a sort of a bully pulpit or platform to express what your own ideas about what some of this strange thing could be in terms of something more materialistic or something more mainstream. And what it gets down to also is this is is this um, potential importance of consciousness playing a key role in our communication or our relationship with some of the strange things that are going on around us that we can't explain. And you touch on that right away in your new book, Strange Tales of the Impossible. You you actually open with a brief word on consciousness, is what you call it. Can you describe a little bit about what your intent was uh, to, to essentially, you know, front load your new book with this idea right up top? Oh, sure. Well, you know, honestly, how that came about was... I had gotten to the end of the book and I realized that I had said the word consciousness about a million times. And <laughs> it was, it, it was, it, it really read to me like something that would make total sense if, if you were me or, or one of my close friends or colleagues or something, but you know, otherwise anybody else reading the book might be like, okay, but you know, so what? And, um, <laughs> And so I, I got to the end and I thought, well, I better talk about consciousness and, and, and define it to provide some sort of context for people. So when they're reading through here, they can see, you know, sort of what, what I mean when I say that word, because I, I, I think that that word has a, a variety of, uh, of, of definitions depending on, on one's perspective, because nobody can seem to really nail it down yeah. or, or, or its origin. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it just, it, it felt necessary that right off the bat, we had to be on the same page that when you see me use this word, this is what I'm talking about. And, and also I really wanted to make it, it, it very clear that because of the ambiguity uh, intrinsic to that word consciousness, that, um, you know, when I'm talking about it and, 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 and I'm, I'm, you know, describing people's experiences and, uh, and, and relating them and, uh, and, and connecting it to consciousness, that it is very much speculation. And I think that it's great uh, to speculate about these things, because that's sort of the entryway to discovery. You know, you have to start by uh, uh, imagining some possibility, and, and then you can per, uh, pursue that, that possibility. But you have to be very clear that what you're doing is speculating, because otherwise, um, you know, I, I think that people can be uh, led astray. And I, I certainly didn't want anybody to think that I knew more than I actually do uh, and, uh, and and take my word for, for too much. <laughs> right. Because then you become some sort of fortune teller, right, that uh, is expressing uh, certainty in, in something that maybe we can't quite get there on. <laughs> uh, you know, for the listener's sake, um, describe a little bit about your new book. What's in there? What is your approach? What are you sharing in these tales? Sure. So what, what we've done is um, just taken a, uh, a very wide variety of reports that we've received through the Singular Fortean Society and have either investigated personally or have uh, sort of been on the inside of the investigation because there are a, a few reports in there that were investigated by uh, friends of, of ours. But, um, you know, I was able to review all of the, the investigative materials. And so one thing I've, mm. I've always encouraged people to do, by the way, is if you're interviewing a witness, record it. Just, just record it. It's the 21st century. Right. Every single felt like every single cell phone that everybody out there listening right now has can get an app that's probably free, and you can record your your telephone calls on it. And as long as you're being upfront and and not breaking any laws or anything, it doesn't hurt anybody to have that recording. Because then, what I could do 
is, you know, when, when one of my friends would interview a, a witness or something and, uh, you know, we would collaborate on an investigation, I could just listen to the actual conversation and transcribe right. it. Yeah. And, uh, and so anything that wasn't personally investigated uh, by, by me, uh, I at least had access to those kinds of materials. Um, and so I wanted to explore uh, a number of, of different phenomena, you know, seemingly disparate, but, but potentially uh, uh, connected uh, anomalous uh, happenings. So it, it sort of runs the gamut from UFOs to, to ghosts to uh, cryptids and, and you know, uh, Bigfoot and, and, and Mothman and, and everything else, and, and even weirder things. You well, know, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that you've uh, taken what you did in UFOs, you've uh, transitioned over into including Mothman, and, and now you're really opening the doorway to so many different varied phenomena that uh, it's expressing itself in this new book, which is fantastic. And, and where can people get this new book? Sure. So, you know, Strange Tales of the Impossible, along with the, the Lake Michigan Mothman, High Strangest in the Midwest, they're both available on Amazon. But, you know, if you want a signed copy, we certainly have those on our websites. You can go to singularfortian.com slash books, and I'm, I'm happy to sign one and ship one out to you. Fantastic. Tobias, uh, it was great talking with you uh, for the very first time, which is strange because uh, as I was saying before the show, I feel like I already know you. So thank you so much for joining us on this debut episode, my friend. And uh, good luck out there. I can't wait to read the book. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our debut live episode of Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. Hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more and join us next week, Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific. And I'll be out in Indiana, in, you know, outside of Indianapolis somewhere in this crazy ghost town all next week collecting new tape for Euphemet. And I'll be sharing that and much more and speaking with some guests next week, Sunday, 5 p.m., right here on Alternative Talk, KKNW. 1150 AM Seattle. Till then, keep looking up. with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.